Red State DVD and Blu-ray pre-orders are available now at coopersdell.com. Get exclusive bundle packages featuring posters, soundtracks, t-shirts, signed scripts, wardrobe used in the film, and a chance to be a guest on air with Kevin Smith via Skype. Pre-order Red State DVD and Blu-ray exclusive bundles now at coopersdell.com. Smirch alert, smirch alert, motherfucker, smirch alert. Go to smodcast.com slash smerchandise to get your official Jay and Silent Bob iPhone 4 cases from Casemate. Choose from three different snoogerific designs. We got soft ones and hard ones. Hey, I'm talking about the cases, bitch. All emblazoned with your favorite Smodco icons, Jay and Silent Bob. Snag your iPhone 4 case for $39.99 and protect the precious smodcast.com slash smerchandise yo Canada Jay and Silent Bob are gonna be royally mounting you December 7th in Vancouver December 8th Edmonton December 9th Calgary December 10th Saskatoon and December 11th Winnipeg their comedic maple syrup's gonna be gushing all over your timbits. How's that for a visual, eh? Jay and Silent Bob get old. Live in the Great White North. Linky links to tickets at smodcast.com slash get old in Canada. Hey, Eldborg, Iceland. On November 11th, Kevin Smith will be inside you. Kev is bringing his famous Q&A to Eldborg Main Hall, talking movies, comics, sex, taking a shit, whatever you want to ask about. Hilarity will ensue. Kevin Smith, live at the Eldborg Main Hall in Eldborg, Iceland, on November 11th. Links to tickets for this and all Smodco shows at csmod.com. Yo, Philly, guess who's coming to the city of brotherly love? Hollywood motherfucking Babylon, bitch. Come get your celebrity news, rumors, and Liam Neeson's cock jokes at the World Cafe Live with Kevin and Ralph on Monday, October 17th. Top that steak sandwich with cheese whiz, showbiz, and comedy jizz. Mmm, tasty. Catch Hollywood Babylon at the World Cafe Live in Philadelphia on October 17th. Tickets for this and all Smodco shows at csmod.com. So, you're saying, yo, sir, dude, I love sir, and I want to show the world. Wear your sir love with our official t-shirts, biatch. Fishies have no eyes. Let us fuck. Jay and Silent Bob get old. The Garmy. There's also posters, action figures. There's so many to choose from. Grab your smirch at smodcast.com. Scroll down and click on Smerchandise. Catch live video clips of Jay and Silent Bob Get Old and Hollywood Babylon on the Kevin Smith blog for the Huffington Post. Huff.to slash Kevin Smith blog. That's Huff.to slash Kevin Smith blog. Want early access to tickets for Smodcast Internet Radio's metric fuckton of live shows? Join Smodcast for just $4.99 a month 
you'll get CD quality audio of every podcast you hear on Sir ad free. It's like watching porn without having to fast forward through that goddamn plot. You'll also get bonus video content and other badass exclusives. Smodcast, where Smodcast goes save for pay. All the deets at Smodcast.com. Going to New York Comic Con in October? Well, Jay and Silent Bob are giving you one more reason to fangasm. Uh, you might want to clean that up. Friday, October 14th at the IGN Theater. Catch a live performance of the popular podcast, Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. Dust off that Batman costume that's three sizes too small. Or, fuck it, don't wear a costume. Just wear some type of clothing, because, you know, you don't want to get arrested. And get ready to enjoy a thick layer of gooey comedy jizz with Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, live in New York. October 14th at the IGN Theater. Tickets on sale now. For more info, go to csmod.com. Sometimes it's music, strange mathematic, rhythmic equation. The sound of thought is in This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream.
good is that oh my god uh that is indian summer by admiral halsey i just love that i love the harmonies in it i love the power uh, it is indian summer it's i'm in la here it's like i don't know ten thousand fucking degrees out right now not that la needs to have an indian summer i mean it's not like we have i mean yes we do have real you know seasons here but uh, you know, it doesn't feel the same here, like the Indian summer thing, like it does back east. Anyway, I hope you uh, totally love that song because uh, that hook in that song just hooks me and I love it so much. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, it's October 13th. It's Thursday. It's uh, 5 p.m. East uh, West Coast time. Sorry, almost screwed that up. Uh, I'm sitting here today, really excited out in my back studio again, doing my show live and uh, got some cool people here to uh, talk with today and uh, and some cool news too. I wanted to, uh, first of all, um, wanted to mention that it's Lenny Bruce's birthday today. I'm not saying actually happy birthday to him though, because I find that rather creepy to say happy birthday to dead people. I really don't understand that. But I'm acknowledging his birthday today. And I don't know if Sirius XM planned this or not, but today there was some sort of soft launch of the 24 seven 
uh, George Carlin channel on Sirius XM. It's called Carlin's Corner. It's channel 400. Uh, you can access it in your online account or if you just bought a new car that's got DirecTV, uh, DirecTV, if you just bought a new car that's got Sirius XM in it or a new device, I think uh, this month the new device is coming out, you'll be able to get Channel 400. Why the old devices can't get Channel 400, I don't know. It all seems digital and rather illogical to me, but um, that's the way it is. So we're going to be playing um, on the Sirius XM channel as I said, George Carlin 24-7, and then it's going to slowly evolve like all of those kind of channels do, the Springsteen and the Dylan and the even the Sinatra channel, where we'll be adding more program as we go go along, and I'm sure we'll be playing some Lenny Bruce, and uh, I'm sure we'll be playing another gentleman, which I won't mention his name right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, the other news I wanted to say was it looks almost like it's like 99% sure that I'm going to be up in Mill Valley doing my solo show, A Carlin Home Companion, on Sunday, November 13th at 142 Throckmorton Theater in Mill Valley. So put that in your calendar. I'll be talking about it the next few weeks. Um, I'm like 99% sure we're doing it. And I'm very excited. We're going to be shooting a sizzle reel. What that is, is it's just we're going to be shooting the whole show and then cutting it into a little three to five minute thing to kind of pitch my show around the country to different venues and stuff. So, But I'm really excited. I love the Throckmorton. I love Mill Valley. And uh, it's uh, I've, I've performed there before, so I feel like it's coming home a little bit. So I'm pretty excited about it and nervous, of course, because, you know. Here's the thing. This is, and this is why I have my first guest here today because Miss, my friend Rain Pryor is in town and she's like, Oh, hi, I'm, I'm here now. I'm in LA. And I'm like, you're coming today. You're coming for a few minutes because the conversation we had on the phone today was, Holy shit, look what's going on in our lives. <laughs> Who would have ever thunk? Uh, so I want to welcome my friend Rain Pryor. Hey, Rain. Hey. Hey, girl. Welcome to uh, waking from the American dream. Thanks. I'm awake. Yes, you are. <laughs> And you've, you've been on the show before. Obviously, we did it by phone last time, actually. Yes, you yes, were all the yes. way in the Baltimore. Uh, and what Rain and I were talking... It's nice to be here, it's, actually. I know. It's nice. To re- it's very cool. It's. I was kind of like sitting here going, wow, I've got Rain sitting here. I've got Matt across from me. And I've got Phil Lamar in the corner on his iPad right now. It's... I don't know. Life's fucking awesome in this second. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of what Rain and I were talking about. Because Rain called today and she's like... I'm off to Phoenix because I'm I'm a Scottsdale. I mean, oh, Scottsdale. It's Arizona. It's oh, fine. It's it is, truly. It's, it's still hot. And it's fine. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. going to be very hot there yeah. this weekend. Oh, dear. Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, to do stand-up. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Who would ever thought a year ago when I got tricked into it that I would actually stick with it? <laughs> And actually, like, fully owning it right now. Yeah, I really dig it. I had that experience. I was, as I told you on the phone, I had that experience where you, like, I've heard my dad talk about it. I've heard my mom talk about it, where you've been working at it and working at it. And all of a sudden, you, the audience is with you and you're with them. And it's just one big, wow, synergistic Uh, word. Yeah. 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 Thing. And it was overwhelming. Wow. 
I just was like, wow, I, I'm actually doing it. And the guy that I perform with usually, who I'm not performing in Arizona with in Scottsdale, but I usually tour with this awesome comedian named Mickey Coachella. Mm-hmm. And um, he's been like a mentor to me. And so to see him well up and be like, mm. wow, you arrived, you're a comic. Wow. You know, it was pretty cool. It's really <laughs> cool. And then it was freaky because then I get a phone call from Mark Price, you know, Skippy. Yes. And family dies. Hey, come tour with me, you know, and be blah, 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 blah. We're going to go to Scottsdale, Arizona. And I feel totally out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> completely. because you're going on the road. Officially. Yeah. Yeah. Officially with a club owner that doesn't call you back right away and tell you where you're going to stay. <laughs> so I really feel like I've been initiated. You truly. Yeah. You are. And, yeah. and are you staying in the comedy condo when you're there? <laughs> Thank God. No, oh. but <laughs> that's a real initiation. From yeah. I already, I, yeah. I did that. I think at the comedy store when I did my solo show there, which was, yeah, that was weird. <laughs> you know, cause you're like, Oh yes, this is where so-and-so did cocaine. <laughs> Right. So and so had sex with all the hookers. <laughs> that would probably be Sam Kinison. Yes, yeah. <laughs> right. or my dad, I or your dad, yeah. right? Which is yeah. just really exactly. complicated at that yeah, point. Exactly, because you're like, which one? <laughs> I think I knew her. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so so last time we talked, and that, yeah. I don't know, it was like nine months ago. And we were talking. You had just started doing stand up, and you were kind of getting your feel for it, and you were starting to claim your territory. Right. But there's there's this big claiming going on for you now here. What's what's different? I think I'm. I've reached that point where I don't care anymore that people have an expectation of who they think he was mm. that they're coming to see him. Again, mm-hmm. like my dad, mm-hmm. when I say him, by the way, her father was, was Richard, Richard Pryor, Pryor, by the way. Um, so I'm now, this is who I am. This is what I do. This, these are my points of views mm. on things, whatever it is. Like my, one of my biggest things that I've come into is I love to talk about my husband's penis. So <laughs> it's I, something your dad would not be talking right, about. Exactly. So I figure that's different. <laughs> you know. Well, and you just just you talking about this right now makes gives me butterflies because even though I'm doing my solo show right now about my family and family stories, I feel there is still a part of me that's taking care of the audience a little bit and taking care of my family a little bit. It's not that I would never take care of them in any way, but there's the, you know what I'm talking about. I do know because I do my dad at the end of my set. Mm. I always end with my dad Mm. because I, I think it's just for me, it's just one, it's acknowledging the fact that it, it, yeah, I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for that man. Right. Right. And that's the truth. Yep. You know, yep. and I think like we talked about, I think we do have a, this weird DNA. Yes. Like I watch Lotus. I know she has it. So I'm like, wow. She was just singing the poopy peepee booger song. <laughs> yes. And it was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> she's three years old and she's already doing filthy material. Yeah. Right. Yes. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> well, and you know, and I think, I mean, I, I don't know if other people can relate to this, but I'm guessing everyone can relate to this on some level because I think part of the act of growing up is saying to yourself, you know, I came from these people and yet I am separate. Yes. And I have, and I have my own point of view and I have something to say and I'm of a different generation and, and here's what's going on. And here's what's going on and I'm still growing. Yes. And it's going to change. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like I tell people, if you're coming to see him rent a video, that's you know, <laughs> <laughs> great. I, I've been doing it for a year and a half. I'm, you know, I'm either featuring or headlining. So it's like, 
I'm still getting my sea legs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have to be allowed to have my sea legs. Absolutely. And, I, and I allow myself to have it. Well, and I think that's the I most think I important. Told you the night I bombed, I think yes, I was, like, yeah, I was miserable. Yeah, you know, but if, but at the same time, it also felt really good because I was like, I'm in it. Yeah, I'm in it. Yeah, you are because if you if you weren't in it, yeah, you wouldn't really care, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and the whole getting the sea legs thing. I mean, I know for me, I know you did your solo show, f- you know, on and off for right. for how long? Almost five years. Yeah, almost five yeah. years. So, so there's some stage time there. And, and that's what I'm finding being on stage with my show. I mean, I'm literally on stage about 90 minutes, but I don't have a lot of just stage time. I don't have a lot of experience on a stage. So getting sea legs, man, I so get it. I'm like, people, if you knew <laughs> how many things I was hanging on to right now while I'm up here walking across this stage, right, and everyone's right. like, she looks so calm and together. Right. <laughs> and it's yet, yeah, come on, people, come with me. And We're going over like, here. I'm going to jump alone. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> but it's what's so fun about it is because I'm in that space too, where it's like, you know what? It is what it is. I don't have a lot of stage time. A, I'm not my father. B, I'm doing a solo show. I don't have a ton of experience on a stage. I can only do what I know how to do in this very moment. Right. Which is funny because that is your dad. It's organic. Yeah. You're organic. Yeah. Yeah. There and is. So, there's you know what I mean? Yeah. It, and it's the same. It's That's how I relate to it. It's like, it's all organic. We're yeah. We're just doing it. We're just like, and we're going with the wave. We're going with whatever is being thrown at us at the moment. Yep. Absolutely. You know, because I'm watching you and I'm like, this is awesome. This is like a beautiful <laughs> thing. And I'm going to be there, Kelly. I'm going to be with you. Watch. You'll see. I'm coming. I, I know. <laughs> I know. It, well, it's amazing to have you on this journey and to have, you know, and to, and to kind of, we like lift each other up, you know, and, 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 you know, well, we've talked about it before. It's like the whole stand up thing. It's like, ah, yeah, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard of our. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So I want to, I, I, I want to come see you do stand up. Maybe next week there'll be an open mic here in LA yes. and you'll get to go do some. Yeah. That, that's what I'm hoping for since I'm going to be here to really kind of branch out of my comfort zone. I'm good with the, you know, the white rednecks in Baltimore. I have to branch out to California and the, the, the white rednecks in Arizona <laughs> you will be dealing with next. Yeah, I but be- they're older. Oh. <laughs> Bless them. Bless them. There'll be some nice Jews in the audience, maybe. Yes, there sh- there might be. And I do well with the Jews. <laughs> you we do. Know that. Yes, 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 you do. You I do. do. <laughs> I do. Happy New Year. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yes, it is. And it's Sukkot today. Sukkot. 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 Oh, Sukkot. yeah. We have to build a house out of sticks. Is that what we're doing today? <laughs> after after yeah. the show. After the show. We're building yes. a set of sticks. Actually, after the show, we're going to go up to Santa Monica and see my friend's show, uh, dancing on Hitler's grave. So we'll, perfect. We'll be doing a lot yes, of Jewishness tonight. Exactly. Trust me, it's, yeah. a, it's a great show. Uh, so, so wh- wh- what's the name of the club you're doing this weekend? Comedy Spot. Uh huh. Yes. In Scottsdale. In Scottsdale, Arizona. And you're featuring for Mark? No, we're headlining, co-headlining. Oh wow! I know. Awesome. So exciting. So you like flip a coin, deciding who <laughs> yeah, goes on yeah, first? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I will because I just more comfortable in my feature category. <laughs> yes, exactly. Basically, I'm okay Even here. Co-headlining. I'm very comfortable going now. <laughs> it's so exciting, and you know, and I, you know, as my dad said, there's there's no up there, up there. But God damn it, if there was, your dad and my dad are sitting back right now. I don't know what they're doing, laughing, looking at each other, going, look, they're just, the, yeah, there's our girls. They're rolling over. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming by, thanks honey. For us. Oh, I'm so excited you could come by today just for a few minutes. I know that's really cool. I can't believe it. I know. It's groovy. Okay, bye. <sighs> Love you, Rain. Love you too, bye. Have fun. Thank you, bye. We're going to go for a little song here, and then when we're out of the song, we're going to uh, sit down with our 
our headlining guest today. Uh, Rain just featured for him. <laughs> anyway, enjoy this little song from Tracy Newman. I think you'll recognize who it may be about. Thirty years ago, just a toothpick of a girl. Was making the whole world laugh Live from New York Every Saturday night For a solid gold hour and a half Blinded by the lights And the backstage drama Never knowing the extent of her fame Till late one night in the lobby of the plaza John Lennon shouted out her name Lorraine Lorraine If you could see yourself now That the dust has settled After all your stumbling And rising from the rubble you so glad you're you If you could see yourself as I do Now I'm watching you Watch your two girls swimming As you bask by the pool in the sun you bring up your hand to shade your eyes Gently caution your little one Now they're begging you to jump into the pool You get up and walk slowly to the side Turn your back to the water Lift your eyes to the sky Fall straight back with your arms open wide, Lorraine, Lorraine. If you could see yourself now, such a natural mother, like you hopped out of one life into another, you'd be so glad they have you. If you could see yourself as I do I love you, little sister And how lucky for me My best friend is actually That is the song Lorraine 
by Tracy Newman. Uh, Tracy Newman, one of the founding members of the Groundlings, and her sister Lorraine was there too. And uh, of course, Lorraine went on to uh, to be in the first cast of Saturday Night Live. I just love that song. I love that line about um, John Lennon recognizing her in the lobby of the Plaza Hotel because Lorraine had no idea <laughs> what impact in the culture that they were making at the time. They were just holed up basically 24-7 in the uh, 30 Rock uh, building. Uh, the reason I played that song is because we have another groundling here this afternoon. We have Mr. Phil Lamar. Uh, Phil Lamar, you'll, if you watch the first, uh, how many seasons of Mad TV were you on? Uh, first five? First five seasons. Yeah. Uh, the UPS guy. I mean, that's like one of the major characters, but that's, uh, the voice in Futurama, the guy in Pulp Fiction who gets his head blown off in the back of the car. Which your Christmas card that year was fantastic. <laughs> uh, Pee Wee Herman show on Broadway. And I wrote a gazillion million other credits because if you go to this guy's IMDb page, I'm like, he's got health insurance. That's all I got to say. <laughs> well, I, I'm very, very old. <laughs> so they they an- add up after a while. You're ancient. So welcome, Phil. Thank you. Welcome it's to, good to be here. Yeah, it's I was re- going to welcome you, but I, I can't really welcome you because it's not my house. And I, yeah, I live here. It's kind of uh, be a little strange. <laughs> but you you could try. Uh, Phil and I first met in 1994 because Phil played Bob Brown on the George Carlin show. Yes. And uh, we... Is that what year it was? That was. It was 94. Oh, dear God. I know. Isn't that amazing? Uh, it's really been a long time. I'm getting so old. <laughs> But that was fun. We used to hang out, and uh, it was fun to hang out there. It was an amazing cast. The the cast was really great. Chris Rich and... uh, Tony Stark. Tony Stark and Paige. What was Paige? Paige French. Paige French. Matt Lanter. And Alex Rocco. Yeah. Good old Alex. Oh, my God. I know. I know. And then my dad, of course, which was... It was was such an interesting time because he... uh, you know, he, it was so hard for him because he was mm. the performer and it was his show. And then he'd have to go and try to negotiate in the writer's <laughs> room, uh, which someone else was running the writer's room at that time. You can read my dad's memoir and hear all about it. Well, it's also that that weird thing of, you know, a big corporation says, hey, we like your persona. Let's put that on. It's like, it's, well, what does that mean? It's true. Yeah. You know, play play the gruff version of you or the TV version. Yeah, of you. The, the, like, Right. I don't exist on TV. Right. You do now. Yeah. And it's basically it was the character was if you weren't George Carlin, but had never made it and you were a taxi driver in New York, mm. this is who you would be. That That's kind of what they're thinking. That, that, was. Right. Sort of. <laughs> Exactly. But it's like, well, no, but not too much of that. Yeah. Like, really, just sort of somebody who sounds and looks like George Carlin. <laughs> exactly. How about that? Exactly. <laughs> but it was fun. Uh, and uh, so, where did you grow up? Did you grow up? I grew up in L.A. You did grow up in L.A. Yeah. Wow. Yes, born and bred. Wow. Which part of town? Uh, Inglewood, and then uh, in elementary school moved out to the North Valley. Right about the time they were busing kids from Inglewood to the North Valley. <laughs> That was convenient. Just trying to cut out the uh, the. <laughs> Did the, they the then rebus you down to Inglewood once you were in the North Valley? <laughs> no, no, no. But it was weird because there were all these black kids at my, you know, right. Granada Hills High School, R- right, who had just been on a bus for an hour. Oh and a half. my god! Wow. And then there was me. Right. Wow. What you was know? that like? It was weird. It was really weird because there was this strange de facto segregation. It's like, oh, okay, so. There's this sort of remedial class that is all black and brown people. Right. And then there's this other class 
that's sort of a mix. And then there's the advanced level class. You know, and it wasn't technically any distinction between, you know, like it was just all, all four. We have just have three different fourth grade classes and they just happen to be color coded. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. God, that's, yeah, that's trippy. Dealing with that at that age already, like, okay, something's, something, there's bullshit. There's bullshit here going on, people. Well, it's, but you know, what's really bizarre about it to me is that to me is a bellwether for how society has changed mm -hmm. because I look at what my kids who are biracial are dealing with. And last week, um, my son and I had the talk. Mm. He's 10. And it's it, not that talk. Yeah, oh, no, for, for, white, for white people, that's that talk. For, for black people, the, the, the talk <laughs> is the nigger talk. Uh-huh. Dad, what's this word? Sit down, son. Wow. And he had, you know, he had heard it mm. from, oddly enough, a kid at school, but in a context of someone like describing it. This I, is a really bad word. I, I thought as maybe opposed they were to someone yelling it. Maybe Rick Perry's ranch yeah. or something. <laughs> and then when we were at the park for something, there were a bunch of guys playing basketball and he heard it really loudly there. Uh huh. Yo, yeah. nigga, what's up, man? Nigga, what's up? Uh huh. And so, uh, my wife brought him into me. It was so funny because it was sort of like, Ask your father. <laughs> I'm not of, talking to you about this. Right. It's like, <laughs> sit down. And it's a, it's a deep conversation mm, to have. It's a huge one. But so much better to have to have that conversation at 10. Yeah. When he has a concept of society and, you know, stratification and, mm -hmm. you know, and he knows history, knows about slavery, you know, so you, you yeah. can put it in some context. Right. Right. As opposed to, you know, being six or seven yeah and i was like yo nigga what are you yeah yeah which you know because i mean i don't i never had a talk about it because it was simply there right right you know yeah um although it's funny because i told my son this it's like well you know the first time i heard you know slurs like nigger about black people was from my grandfather hmm you know who was a black racist. Right. Wow. And it, it was funny. And cause then, then it gets real deep because then you start getting into self hatred. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then it's like, okay, this might be, maybe we're going a little far afield and turning in on itself. And so, so you're buying into someone else's version of who you are and then hating yourself. Exactly. And, yeah. But yeah. not, not admitting it. Yeah. And it was, I mean, cause you know, there's, all but see, and the Irish did that too. I mean, there was the, mm -hmm. the, there was the lace curtain Irish and then there were those other Irish, you know, and my grandmother always considered my father to be a beery, whereas my uncle was the car, <laughs> the, the brother was the Carlin, which represented her, her right, husband who was crazy. Class. Yeah. Because he, you know, he drank and got into fights and that's what Pat did also. <laughs> so he always, you know, was, Oh no, you're a beery, George. You know, you've got, we beery expect blood. better things from you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh and it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, when I remember being a kid and we were in New York on a trip, I don't know, it was probably about around the same age your son is, probably nine or ten, and there was a play, I think it was on Broadway, called Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. Right. Incredible play. And I remember afterwards, we got into the taxi, and it was all about race issues and all this mm. kind of stuff, and I just, I guess I declared to my father and mother and the taxi cab driver that, you know what, people just need to treat everyone equal and with love. <laughs> you know, and my dad was just like, you know, out of the mouths of babes, right. if, if the world could just operate that way. But for me in my house, you know, language is obviously something people talk about when they talk about Carlin. Right. Um, but uh, the N-word, mm -hmm. <laughs> I was not allowed to say. 
My father, that's the one word my dad said to me. You were never to say it at home. You were never to say it to anyone ever, ever, ever. Because he grew up in the streets in the culture himself. And he had such a respect of the black culture in New York Mm -hmm. that he saw it being used against people to oppress them. And he never felt that he could, you know, like Richard, um, you know, be assume that he's part just because he felt a part of the culture that he really was that he because he was a white guy basically right so there's there's that too it's like for me and i I was just on david feldman's podcast last night and we were talking about this we were talking about rick perry and all of that and how um barbara walters i guess said niggerhead on the view right and sherry i don't even know sherry sheldon or whatever you're right right sherry shepherd shepherd yeah got really offended by it in that moment and i'm like so so what do we do about this word how do we deal with this sometimes black people are okay with it sometimes they're not if you talk about it in a context if it's academic it's okay if it's when is it racist when it's it's well, that's the thing. It is so deeply loaded. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's weird because even with the, you know, the PC and there's a lot of different schools of thought. There are some people who say the word should be banned. Right. And then there are the people who say, no, the word should be co-opted like queer. Right. And we should let's just like, be saying it all the, the time. Take the power away from it. Exactly. It's like, yeah, no, not yet. <laughs> we, we're working on that. Once we take the power away from it, then y'all can start saying it. But not right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's, it's funny because I believe there are some people who will feel comfortable enough with a white person and know where they're coming from. Cause really that's what it's about. Where are you coming from? Yes. Intention. And just like, all right, I know that's cool. But the thing is a lot of black people haven't dealt with the issues of self-hatred. Yes. You know, cause it's like, no, we can say it's like some of us can some of us can't. Yeah, because you know? because you know it, 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 that's a great point. You know that, that it's like so. What when you're saying that is you're saying it is a, is it a loving word or are you are, are some black people in your group not niggers and some are? I mean, it's right. like you know. And then what does that mean? Who who are who's above who now? And you know what's what's that what's that hierarchy going on? Right. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the truth of the matter is the word is negative. Yes. Even in even when black people use it. Yeah. I mean, there there's no like positive meaning to it. <laughs> right. It's not like you know some people say, well, colored is okay, but black is. It's like those have gray areas. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry, black has gray areas, <laughs> but but nigger doesn't. Yeah. Exactly. Like, when a black person uses it, it's di- it's diminishing as well. Yeah. 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 So it's yeah it's it's. You know, it's so, I, I don't know, I find it all so fascinating, the the whole PC thing and the words and, and um, you know, and then like the whole Tracy Morgan thing came up again this week because he was on Letterman. Oh, what about the, the gay thing? Yes. And Letterman just brought it up again, which I don't know why, because it seemed like it had kind of passed and everything. And, and you know, and Tracy just talked about, you know, you know, he says, I don't do like set up premise setup punchline i'm not that kind of guy i tell i tell stories or whatever and just you know and i just doing my thing and you know and i was upset that i was upsetting the audience and and it's you know i was just i was reading a quote of my dad's um i always feel like i'm like i need to figure out my father's philosophy i just i'm always fascinated (laughs) you know because it kind of evolved but he was talking about diversity in language and the he was talking about political correctness right and that necessarily being political correct does not create diversity in a culture no it just in in some way in 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 some ways it just stifles conversation right and and so you know it's just 
uh, I don't know. I, I mean, the idea of sensitivity yeah. to those different from you and to a certain degree, the, the relativity, I mean, because that to me was, was the foundation of the political correctness thing is that for so long, we just gave value to these white male things. Absolutely. Yes. And the rest of it was completely devalued. Completely ignored, yes. And in order to balance that out, you have to give equal value to all things, even things that are shitty and stupid. Right. right. <laughs> and it's like, well, but because, well, how do we know it's shitty and stupid? Maybe it's just shitty and stupid because white men said it was like, well, some of, yes. Yes. But some things are really just shitty and stupid. Right, exactly. Let's go back through it now and really find the shitty and stupid shit. <laughs> and, and the problem is, you know, when you it's try to true. broaden that, you've yeah. got to simplify it. Yes. And it becomes really, really difficult. Yeah. It's it's funny you bring up the Tracy Morgan thing because I, I put that together with the Michael Richards thing. Mm -hmm. And in both cases, I defended them. Mm -hmm. Not saying they should have said it. Right. But saying that people are mad at them for the wrong reason. Right. Their crime was not being funny. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Seriously. It's, yeah. Michael Richards' crime wasn't saying nigger. His, his crime was saying nigger in a non-funny way. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and from what I read about the Tracy Morgan thing, it was a joke. Right. It was a bad joke. Yeah, exactly. He it's was, like, he was rambling and he wasn't right. going anywhere, but. But if we come up with one of them, you know, high prissy voices, I'll stab him. It's like, okay, <laughs> that's dumb. Right. That's not a good joke. Yeah. It's not like hate speech. Right. Right. You know? Absolutely. That's the, and that's the thing too. It's like, uh, what makes me nervous about the comedians getting in trouble for this is that, you know, comedy is this platform where, you know, it, it's about discussing ideas that aren't necessarily popular. Right. And, and so you, you you've got to have some protection. I mean, it, there is protection for them. A and so, you know, you're, you're right. You know, it's like, it wasn't a well-crafted joke. And of course with, you know, with Michael Richards, he was just, he was being defensive and he was attacking someone mm -hmm. basically, which was really. Well, but funny. the thing was, I mean, what I was telling people at the time was like, look, if they, if the guys heckling him had been fat and he screamed, Fat glutton, you know, it's yeah. Like, what that's what you do when you attack a heckler, you attack them for what right. you can attack they're, them right. with. Right, they're personal, they're, yeah, you, you attack them personally. If it was a woman, it, you would have called her the c word, yeah, exactly, you know, yeah, and not gotten as much, right, of a of, of an issue, which he should, you know, yeah, have been just as unfunny, yeah, and just as offensive, yeah, you know. Uh, do you ever wish you'd done stand up? No, no, I've tried stand up, uh, twice. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I, when I first moved back to LA after college, I lived walking distance from the comedy store and I used to go down every once in a while and sign up for open mic night. Mm -hmm. And of course I'd get there late and not, you know, get us, get like a 2 a.m. slot <laughs> and just never stay. Right. I'm like, ah, fuck it. Truly, I don't really want this. Right. <laughs> um, and then there was one time during Mad TV, uh, my mother was living in South Africa and we went to visit her. And, uh, she introduced me to some young friend of hers. Like, oh, he's, yeah, he's heard about your stuff from Matt. He's, oh, great. Say, I got you a gig. Oh, no. <laughs> what, what do you mean? It's like doing your comedy. <laughs> and I mean, I could have just said, no, 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 I don't, I don't do stand up and just, but I'm like, well, however many thousands of miles away. <laughs> right. <laughs> what? It's probably a good time to try it. Exactly. So I said yes without really thinking it through. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I've never done stand up before. I'm in a country <laughs> I don't know the right. cultural references. Right. 
and none of these people really know who I am. So there's not even like that. You don't even have the cachet, right? Right. So I'm like, what the fuck? Did- <laughs> I have never had so much intestinal turmoil <laughs> as the 40 minutes sitting in that club waiting to go on. Oh man. And. It went okay. I was able to find uh, an angle. Right, And right. they spoke enough English. Basically, it was just like, oh, Americans are so dumb. Like, we're going to Africa. It's like, oh, what do they speak? Africans? Like, you know, just like dumb American stuff. <laughs> right, right. That played fine. Right, right. But it was just so nerve-wracking. You became a hack comic, Phil. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> what is with this airplane food? <laughs> is that what they're using to keep it afloat? <laughs> No, and I did not do an African accent. I really was not about to do that. It's like, don't do anything where they could possibly turn on you. Don't mention race. Because that's the other thing. This is South Africa. Yeah, no shit. So yeah. I'm like, eh, you know, just after like the changeover. Right, so, you right. Know. Yeah, it was, yeah. And, and I have a lot of friends who do stand up and it is a craft. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, it's, it, it is a skill. That perhaps I could develop yeah. if I committed myself to it, but it is not something that is just for anybody. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's 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 got its own set of internal rules and logic and yeah. And it's it's a different way. I mean, but you know, I want to talk a little bit about the Groundlings with you. Um, mm-hmm. and you, I, I I remember I went to do the um the fun shop or whatever. The, oh. <laughs> I did the non-actors one because I, I had stage fright and I was going to go and do my one woman show. This was like 12 years ago, 13 oh years God. ago. So I went to the amateur one. So I was like, mm. okay, it'll be totally. And it was, I had a blast, you know, and of course at the end of the class, I was so thrilled when the teacher was like, you should go on to the basic you, class. Aren't you auditioning for the basic class? Right. And I'm like, uh, yeah, what's the audition? They like give you a piece of paper. You turn around, you do a character. I'm like, and you're in. Okay. Yay. Yeah. Uh, but it, it became clear to me right away that it was like, oh, no, you're, you're going to become a groundling. Like they really, sh- there's, it's a school there. Right. And they're teaching you very specific skills. Yeah. And, and, and it was like, you know, maybe at 20, I might have wanted to do that. And yeah. it would have been great, but I wasn't, it was just, I was in a different space, but a part of me really was like, oh man, it's like a, an incredible, uh, an amazing system they have there that they really walk you through. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Cause I mean, there's, there's improv, mm-hmm. you know, just sort of in a general sense. And the Groundlings is definitely a part of that tradition, but then the Groundlings also has its own particular take and philosophy and style of improv. It's character based and, um, and it's writing oriented. Mm-hmm. Like their school is designed to feed into the company. Yeah. You know, so people teach you the skills that are on display in the shows. Yep. You know, but there's also a really pretty a good foundation in, you know, those, those first couple of classes in improv. You right. Know? Yeah. In the way that it can free you up, yep. you know, mentally and physically. To be on stage. Yeah, and to teach you to just keep jumping off the cliff. Yeah. And that, you know, when in doubt, jump again. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I started doing improv in college, and it really was more than just performance. It was philosophy to me. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, and. Mm-hmm. If you <laughs> agree, if you say yes, and then try to add something to something in life, you can get so much further. Absolutely. In, in fact, uh, I am a certified life coach and I went to their leadership program, this year long leadership program. And one of the basic rules of leadership in any conversation you're having is yes. And 
Right. Because it really does take you far because, because you are embracing what is and then you're, you're adding to it to see what's going to happen next because that's all that improv is. It's like, okay, and now what? Right. And now what's needed in this moment? And that's what life is. Yep. I mean, you're constantly moving forward, whether you want to be or whether you realize it. <laughs> yeah. You're moving forward in time. Yep. Or, or something. Yep. So anytime you're fighting that, like, no, no, I can't. I'm not. I won't. You're fighting against your own essential nature. Yep. You know? And it's funny because when I taught classes, I would always talk to the students about like, okay, I am not going to teach you anything. What we're doing right now in this basic class is unlearning. <laughs> Everything you've absorbed from society since you were five. That's beautiful. Because you can't, you don't need to teach a five-year-old improv. That's right. If you go up to a five-year-old and say, I am a dragon, <laughs> they scream and run or pull out their sword. <laughs> exactly. They don't go, well, well, what kind of, what do you, what is a dragon? Wait, no, wait no, are okay. you a flying dragon? And I am, the, am I the prince or am I the? Who, right. <laughs> Wait, wait, stop, 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 wait, huh? No. They accept the reality that's laid before them and build on it. Yeah. Because that's what you do. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's great. So so you did improv in college and then you came and you graduated. When did you go into the Groundlings? Um, well, in, the school in, in, in college, uh, we, we started this improv group and then uh, it, it was so uh, satisfying for, we like, Basically, just sort of the, the group was more than just a performance group. Uh, we got together and went to Chicago for mm. a summer, and we studied with Del Close. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about Del Close. Oh, it was great. But he, I mean, that's more like long form. Yeah, yeah. I have a book of his, and I've I've looked at it before, and it's like fascinating stuff. I mean, it was interesting because it's somebody who's pushing the boundaries of form with no boundaries. Mm. You mm -hmm. know? Wow. I mean, I remember one class we sat with him, and he would always he would spend the first. 20, 30 minutes of the class just talking, mm -hmm. you know, and you just listened. Um, and then he said, all right, let's get up. Today we're going to do dream work. Um, and you just pick somebody out of the class, describe your day. Mm -hmm. And the person would just sort of say the things that happened that day. It's like, all right, let's improvise the dream that he'll have tonight. Wow. <laughs> Based on what he said. Wow. And that, that was the form. Wow. That was all we had to work with. Wow. And, you know, some of them were incredible and some of them were horrifying. <laughs> right. It's like, oh my God, I'm falling asleep on stage doing this. <laughs> um, but it really opened your mind up as a performer to what is possible. You know, you know, I, I, I think about being in that energy, like being in a class like that or, or even, um, this amazing leadership program I was in right. because it, it was all about that. It was all a lot of jumping off cliffs and problem solving type of stuff in with co-creation within a group, which is very much what improv is. Right. And I, and I think about that space, like even just the, the premise that you just said that he, that he said it just like, it like immediately, like all the boundaries of my brain went away. And I think about like, I look out at the world today and see how, you know, everyone's right. at each other, the conflict and everyone's, we're all entrenched in this mired mm. down in this economy and this da, 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 da. And I think, where is the improv in any of this? Where is the imagination? Where is the innovation in all of this? It, it's so, you forget that we even have that part of our psyche to tap into. We're, we're not, we're not teaching children how to do this. We're not tapping into this in high schools. And, yeah. you know, unless you go into the performing arts and get a chance to play in this realm, 
or you're someone like Steve Jobs or someone like that who's in his garage going, what if we made it do this? Right. And then they like know how to electronically make it do that <laughs> because that's what they're doing too. They're completely stepping outside of what is right, and, and saying, pushing. what if? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's very strange, uh, that we are living in a society and I, th- I think some of it has to do with, it's not the not so much the dumbing down of society as the devaluing of intelligence. Yeah. Because what if is an intelligent question. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and so much of the time spent now is about, you know, putting people in line. You know, mm-hmm. it's like what well what if what do you mean what if? That's not on the test. <laughs> yeah. Here the here's the information you need. Right. You yeah. know? It, it is it, it is it's it is like we've been fed you know, what are the requirements, mm-hmm. you know, oh, the, and what the requirements used to be for the American dream was you, you, you get a career, you get a, you get a job, you slot into your career, you buy your home, you have your family, and then in 30 years you retire and then you finally get to uh, enjoy yourself. Right. You know, and it was like, just fit into that and we'll be, we'll be okay, people. Everything will be okay if you just do that. Right. And of course that hasn't been working for a while. It worked, I think, for about 10 years in the fifties. Right. <laughs> For certain people. <laughs> For certain people, <laughs> exactly. If you happen to be white and upper middle class. Right. Um, but uh, and, and it is that. And and yet, with everything we're fed in our media and, and mm. through our education, we're still believing that that's the version of it. And and what's so I find so interesting about this Occupy Wall Street thing mm-hmm. is that they are – co-creating in the moment they really they are improvising this right. they're trying to do it differently and they're trying to create what's happening now with this generation not the baby boomers from 40 years ago who did it on the streets or in the campuses um and and so people are like well we want to know what you want and we want to know what you're doing and how long <laughs> are you staying and who's your enemy and da, 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 da. And it's like guess what if they start to say that mm-hmm. then they're fitting into your storyline in your narrative about this and why wouldn't it be interesting if we were actually admitting that we're all improvising all of this right <laughs> well, and, well, yeah. and that something new may come out of from that improvisation well it's so funny because i that conflict between the change mm-hmm. that's happening and the change we're fighting i mean the you know the system that we're all trying to believe in the american dream yeah is i think at the core of all of this, you know, you've got, and I don't know, I take it back to Nixon mm-hmm. because that's when you had that huge fucking crack mm-hmm. in the American dream. Yeah. Like, oh, the president yeah. <laughs> is not an infallible, like, you know, icon. Honest, trustworthy guy. So that means our institutions beneath him yes. are fallible. Absolutely, yes. But we're all dependent on them to manage the American dream that we are all buying into. And then, like, it just, it crumbles. Right, right. And you so, know? And, it, and we were still believing in it, and yet it was crumbling before our eyes. And people are still fighting. And, I mean, this whole, like, you know, uh, the conservative movement, to, we're taking back America. I mean, the, I the active word is back. I we're know. Gotta, we've got to go back. Like, back to the future. <laughs> you know, it's like you can't. When, you can't go back. When have we ever gone back? How do you do that? You, It doesn't work. It's called, it's like you said, we're in the flow of life. We're moving forward, people. It's the yes and time. But they're so afraid of it. Yeah. Because, I mean, which is weird. You know, because the change has been constant. It well, has, it's never stopped changing. True. And if you think about a certain mindset at a certain age, 
that we that we've all lived through. There's a time when we want it to be all the same. And it's mm. almost like we want mommy and daddy to protect us. Right. We want it to be safe. We want it to be easy on some level. And, and we, and we don't really, we're not quite sure we're ready to face that, oh, mommy and daddy are humans and they're, ah. you know, and they, they may not be perfect. And that I maybe even have the stuff to make it out there that, right. you know, and, and, and I think it, I think because of the, uh, kind of traditional mindset these people have, you know, mm. it's, it's very traditional. It's, it's one God, one country. Mm. It's very hierarchical. It's very law and order. Right. It's, you know, there's a, there's a, there's authority. Right. And we should all bow to authority, whether right. it's a, a person on a cross or the president or whoever, except when the president isn't the president you want it to be. <laughs> There's that complication. Oh, yeah. But and, and there and there is and, and they are they're afraid that they're going to that they think that if we move forward, mm-hmm. that no one is going to give them any response respect like give them the freedom to worship at their churches or whatever they want and right. it's like no see that you want to say to them no you're projecting onto us because that's what you're doing to right people. well th- that's the whole thing <laughs> the least trustworthy person is the untrust the least trusting person is the untrustworthy person it's right like, well if i had a chance i'd fuck you so <laughs> i'm assuming you would fuck me it's it, it is it, yeah it's true it, it's true and it is they are the no buts Right. Yes. <laughs> Not the yes ands. <laughs> oh God, it's it's really frightening. I mean, it's it's funny because I've seen a change personally. You know, when I got out of college, there were you know friends I knew who went into you know business. They they made smart, safe, <laughs> yes. certain choices. They went towards certainty. Right. And you know, choosing a career as an actor is heading towards uncertainty. Yes. And now we all in the same. USS uncertainty, <laughs> like there, that you know, that American dream is crumbled. That idea that you can go to a good company, get a good job, and stay there till your retirement is gone. Yes, everybody is like us now. Yes, you know, a- absolutely. I mean, we are absolutely all in this together in that way. And the bottom line is, nothing is ever certain. It never was. It never was, and yet we bought into this. You know, and that's what I was saying. It's like, oh, if I'm a good girl mm-hmm. and I do the right things, mm-hmm. the things that the society tells me to do, then I get a payoff at the end. Exactly. And that's what they want you to believe. Mm-hmm. But it ain't going to happen <laughs> necessarily. I mean, you know, it's, you know, and, and here the, the interesting thing is that, you know, maybe some of your friends went in a certain way and now they're company is imploded uh you know their hedge fund is imploded or whatever it is and and here you are you went the uncertain way and and you're a very successful performer actor i mean you're you know yeah i mean i i arguably have more stability than many of the people i know who chose more you know certain choices yeah yeah but uh that's but it's but i know that mine is from luck (laughs) you know well it i i truly believe it it's 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 what the definition of luck is it's preparation and opportunity Mm. you know i really believe that and yes absolutely luck there's you know i mean this town is weird and crazy let's talk about this town a little bit oh please i got got a lot of stuff to say about that (laughs) yeah i it's i have my orbit theory of fame oh tell Uh, me what's that that there there are certain uh trajectories yes of fame right um you can go josh hartnett okay who was on a very like uh steep rise quick right quick steep you know, rise yeah. for a short time yes so he goes up and then comes down right or you can go um 
you know, sort of a gradual build. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I'm trying to think who's uh, who's an example of that. Um, oh, I some, somebody who's like slowly built their their way up. There, there, there are many of them, and then there are people. I think Tom Hanks was sort of a gradual build, but he went high enough. Like, mm-hmm. I think if you get you know, big enough, mm-hmm. you basically go into an orbit where you stay. You're not, you're no longer, yes. you're, you're up in satellite orbit. Yeah. And it's, it's sort Julia of, Roberts, Tom Hanks, right. people like that. They will they, continue to work. Right. And they don't do th- what, for, whether it's choices they make or, or who they are. Um, they seem to just, they're, they're in that orbit. They, they there's mm-hmm. no real bad choices they've made. Even if they've made a bad film, it's like, no, right. it didn't really hurt that much. They're still yeah. in that orbit. Yeah. You, you'd have to, you'd actually basically have to be hit by a fame meteor for, <laughs> for, to, if you're Tom Hanks to, to come down. Yes. But, but like for the Josh Hartnett, it's like, okay, he got up a little bit, but he didn't have any thrust. Right. AKA acting talent. Right. To keep him aloft. Right. So he just comes down. Yeah. And then, uh, you've got, you know, other people who sort of go up and then sort of go down, like, oh, a little boost, uh, you know, Michelle Williams. Right, yeah. Oh, look at her. She, oh, I know her. That's a girl from Dawson's Creek. And then she goes down a little bit. <laughs> oh, but no, she made a broke back mountain. Right, she shows it's us like, other. Fire, fire the, you know, fire, fire the, uh, the engines. <laughs> right, she gets the second stage rockets coming. Exactly. In. Yeah. You know, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great, it's a great point, you know, and for someone like me who I grew up with, opportunity because mm. you know well or at least people assume so it doesn't really work that way in this town because you have to have the goods um, but that's what always used to frighten me because I never felt I, I didn't do a lot of studying and I didn't know a lot and I wasn't in a mental space in my 20s to really uh, pursue that even though I longed to be a performer right. and a comedic actress um, and th- I had some opportunities and I, I took them and it was like oh oh and then I look look around and went yeah, but this is kind of fake because there's 20,000 other people in this town who are working their ass off, who have real talent, who've been studying their craft for 10 years. And, and, and I, you know, I don't want to get another opportunity and look like an ass because I don't really have the goods yet because I haven't worked. I don't have enough, you know, time on the boards and I haven't studied and stuff. And, and so my fear, so I always just, kept um uh, aborting <laughs> yeah that, <laughs> on the pad <laughs> but you you know that was that was fear Complete, that was fear talking it was yeah because and this this is a little cynical and did i i might have said this on on uh, your podcast matt but i have come to believe that in certainly in terms of getting a career started mm-hmm. ambition mm-hmm. is more important than talent it's so fucking true man you got to if you so believe it. in yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's true. And and I did not have that self-belief. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um and, and it's interesting because what's going on in my life now, and this is part of what Rain and I were talking on the phone earlier about, and, and she and I talk about this a lot, is that since our papas died, mm-hmm. some amazing things have come into our life and opportunities. And part of that is being in the shadow of these legends, right. literally. And being daughters too, it's it's a whole nother dance. But yeah. f- for me, you know, I, uh, I finally feel ready. I really feel ready. Like the solo show I'm doing, um, I've been doing storytelling for 10 years in LA here. Right. It's small little places, but I've been doing it. I've been building my craft, building my writing talent mm-hmm. and getting more comfortable on stage as a performer. And now I know a hundred percent that 
you know, if if we can go out and sell 800 seaters, yeah, it'll be fucking scary the first few times <laughs> because I've never done a room that big. But man, I have the goods. I'm bringing the goods and I know I have it. Interesting. And that's fun to yeah. finally feel like I've got a craft that I can do and I can bring. And 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 that makes a difference because I have I've had the ambition for a long time. Right. And I've been hungry, but I've I've also been like in some ways kind of dancing, you know, in my dad's shadow, not quite sure how to do it. Right. Well, I was going to ask, has some of this got to do with finally being at peace with being a performer like with with the name, with the shadow, with the legacy, yeah, you know, because you know, you know that comes with you, and you know that people are walking into there with that, and knowing where that is for you and what that is. Yeah, it, it and it's been some wrestling with that, absolutely. But his, you know, his his when he was alive, he was he, and right, he, and it, it was his job, and that was his corner of, of the universe, and I was really trying to define myself and, and find my own place. And, and it was, it was an interesting dance with him because, you know, he, he was a certain type of performer and, and wrote in a certain way right. with a certain perspective, you know, and he didn't do a lot of autobiographical stuff like Richard Pryor did. I mean, Richard right. goes on and just basically, you know, right. like opened his veins on stage. And, and, and my stuff is very, is autobiographical. And so he and I had a clash about that at one point. You know, he was, right. he was uncertain about that and, and felt uncomfortable because I was talking about family stuff and he was like, well, I don't, you know, we don't do that. <laughs> And so I backed away in order to protect my relationship with him. Right, right. And, 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 and you know, and, and I don't know, I think maybe if I'd been a son, maybe I would have been a little more fuck you, dad, like a little more, you know, I'm a guy and I'm going to go forge my own way out in the world. But as a daughter and as an only child, I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> or, or would you have been more of a Frank Sinatra Jr.? Um, I'm going to do the same thing, but less. Yeah. <laughs> God, I hope not. Exactly. You know? Well, that's always it's like, been- I've got a ponytail too. <laughs> hey, what's going on? Well, and that's, and that's what Rain was saying earlier today. You know, she said, you know, yes, uh, there are moments when I look like my dad. And I, I, we were in the kitchen before we did the show here and I did a face and Rain looked at me. She goes, fuck, man, you look just like your fucking dad doing ah. that face. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's part of our DNA, yeah. you know, but I'm not going to ever go on stage and try to be George Carlin. It's not who I am. I'm half right. my mother, half me, and I'm, I'm me. But, but so, so you see, so you come with that. But there, there is this thing about also um, for people out there who've lost a parent, mm-hmm. you understand that something happens to you when you lose a parent. Like even when I lost my mom, which mm-hmm. will be um, fourteen, it's fourteen years this year. Yeah, oh my God. I know. Um, there, there's a huge amount of mourning, a huge amount of grief. But as a child, there's there's this freedom that mm-hmm. comes with it. And when my dad died. It was a very confusing for me uh, because of the legacy and who he was and stepping up and all of that. But now as a performer, as an mm-hmm. artist, it's a huge wide open field for me now. Right. And, and I, for the, about a year ago, I was still feeling very guilty about that, hmm. that there was actual freedom and space for me. Right. Because to, of that loss, that loss afforded you the freedom. Yeah. Because you know, on some level, it's like, that's fucked up. And yet it's like, but it's life. This is what happens. Your yeah. parents go away and here it is. And, and so for me, it's like, that's why being ready is important to me. Because right. if I'm going to claim this, you know, this space, then I want to know that I, I feel like I have the goods and that I'm delivering on some level. Right. And, and what the audience is going to do with it is the audience is going to do with it, you know, and, and so far it's, it's been a great experience but you know there's there's nothing worse than than being 
Frank Sinatra Jr. <laughs> right, right. It's like, okay, I'm not taking any of the responsibility right. for, for this because I'm not, I'm, I'm not challenging anything. Exactly. We're just going to do the same thing, but for half the price. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and really, what does that give you as an artist except an easy road? Yeah. Well, in some ways. In, so, in some ways. I mean, it's, it's a hell also. I would imagine. There, there's, it, it's, well, the kidnapping especially. Yeah. <laughs> But but someone like you, I mean, you're one of those people that's, um, you're everywhere, Phil. Nah. <laughs> Your voice is everywhere. I'm trying. <laughs> well, that's, that's the good you're thing in, about you're, VO. You're in my head now. No. Nah. <laughs> you watch too many cartoons. <laughs> exactly. Well, I was listening to your reel today, and I was like, and, and you were going back and forth and cutting it, and I'm like going, it's Phil, but it's not. It is, but it isn't. It is, but it isn't. Wow, I, now I'm hearing Phil, but now I'm not. Oh, my God. It's so it's so cool. Uh, last night I was at um, – uh, David Feldman has a podcast on KPFK, and he does sketches. Oh, really? And he invited me to – he's like, oh, we need you uh, – we need you to do Michelle Bachman. And I'm like, I don't know if I can do Michelle Bachman. And Frank Conniff was there. And Frank's like, just do Minnesota. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I can do the Minnesota. Right. But I, I haven't done a cold reading in a million years. I haven't done sketch in a million years. And so I'm with Rick Overton, Eddie Pepitone, <laughs> Frank Conniff, and Paul Dooley. Oh, nice. I mean, I'm with, you know, yeah. these freaking giants. Amazing, yeah, giants. And I'm like, okay, now I'm going to do Michelle Bachman over here in the corner. But uh, but the, the comedic actress part of me was like, oh, I want to do more of this. I want right. to do more of this. But So my question was, you you just fall in and out of these voices so amazingly. And I found myself in the middle of doing my Michelle Bachman going, am I still doing her? Am I still doing her? <laughs> So I want to talk a little bit about craft with you and, and voice craft. And when you're, you know, especially if you're voicing a couple of different characters mm -hmm. in a film or on a show, how do you, what do you use inside of you to step into those different places? Well, it's funny because I mean, there's, there's like a, a physical component to me. It's, it's really musical, mm. you know, and it's, uh, I mean, I, I'm not uh, a very good singer. I have a hard time harmonizing because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a mimic. Mm -hmm. So if somebody next to me is singing a different part, I start to sing their part. Right, I do that too. But there is like when you when you sing a note, you feel where how your throat and voice and body puts itself to make that note. Okay, that that you know the C is here, right, and the tension the, is here, right, and the, and the A, you know, the D is here, mm -hmm. and they feel mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. And it's similar when you're doing different voices. You place it. You know, it's like, okay, where am I putting this? Where is this coming from? Is it, is it coming from up in my nose? Is it coming from down in my throat? Or is it a lot of breath? Or, you know, um, it's funny because I work with Billy West on Futurama. And uh, the first episode, he was playing three different characters. Mm. And there's a scene where they all talk to each other. And he did it. I watched him do it on the fly. He's doing, you know, one guy that sort of talks like him. And one is the old professor who is all, and you know, like really like textured and resonant. Mm. And then the other one is the, is Dr. Zoidberg, the lobster that he, I don't even know how he does <laughs> right. it, but he did all three of those characters talking to each other. Wow. And when you listen, when you watch it with the animation, there is no way to tell that it's one human being doing uh, all three voices. It's totally true. Yeah. You know, and like that to me for a long time was the high watermark. That's what you want. You want people to not know it's you you want to be able to you know place it in such you know vastly different place well i'm gonna do like this and i'm gonna do you know mm -hmm. that to me was my goal and then uh i remember there was an episode of uh samurai jack was this cartoon network show that was really just a piece of art amazing i uh, 
and the only two characters that were consistent on it were me as the samurai mm. and uh, Mako, uh, a Japanese actor, you know, did Broadway Pacific Overtures, won Tony's. You know, he's like a phenomenal actor. Mm-hmm. I think, actually, I think, did he get uh, Oscar nomination for Sand Pebbles maybe? Mm. Um, he was Aku, the villain. Mm. Now, Mako had this incredibly distinct... He had a heavy Japanese accent and a really throaty, you know, <laughs> smoking voice. Uh-huh. He had a voice. Right. And I remember one episode, they cast him in a secondary role. Like, he did Aku the demon, and then he did this other character. And I was like, is that character going to turn into Aku? Because <laughs> it ain't like Mako got another voice. <laughs> right. You know? And I was just like, oh, okay, I guess they're probably going to wind up re-recording this. <laughs> And then he changed not his voice, but he changed his entire approach. He did the demon Aku like this. And then this other character, he just came at it from a whole other angle. It was just pure acting. Mm -hmm. He acted it so differently Mm -hmm. that the voice sounded different. Right. And I was just like, oh, it's not all about chameleon you know transformations right and, you know fooling people mm-hmm. it's something it can also be something internal mm-hmm. you know where is the character coming from this was a this character was more vulnerable and uh you know still you you know if you really listen you still heard the texture right but again when you watch that episode you can't tell it's the same guy wow wow and i was just like okay that was just a master class <laughs> yeah in four hours <laughs> yeah nice and and that it really opened opened my eyes up to like what was possible within the the voice realms. Like, okay, you've got that musical technical side, mm-hmm. but then there's also just a creative internal thing that you know you have to bring to bear. And do you have a chance to to do the the internal thing more now? Is it really depends on the gig that you're getting, and it depends on the quality and how, of the writing, right? And how and how much probably time you have to even be with it, or or the quality of the writing. Oh, it's the quality of the writing more than anything. Interesting. You know, because especially with animation, you know, it's generally considered kids programming. And many of the time, much of the time, they don't bother Mm -hmm. with character development. I mean, I was really, really fortunate to work, you know, on shows like Futurama and Justice League where the writing was phenomenal. We were playing characters. Yes. You know, I mean, on Justice League, I was playing Green Lantern, you know, which could have been a real cardboard character. Sure. But I got to be on trial for murder, <laughs> be in a love triangle, yeah. you know, yeah, all of it be in wars you know, all, and the emotions they were writing mm. were real. Yeah. It had an internal, a real a reality. Yeah. yeah. So and and, you know, they recognized that and allowed us to to play that as opposed to flattening us out. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. But there those shows are few and far between in in any medium. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Is there any future films that you've done that you have gotten to really shape the character and claim it? And No, I mean, there was a movie I did a couple of years ago um, where I finally played a lead. Mm-hmm. And that was a really interesting lesson, mm. you know, because on one hand, you know, you're the shooting out of sequence and like, okay, wait, where am I? <laughs> right. And wh- where am yeah. I going? Right. You know, Really where have, am I coming from and where am I going? Yeah. I mean, because generally I'm, I'm a character actor. I'm a guest star. Yep. I'm a, you know, two, one, two scenes in a movie. Mm-hmm. It's easy. Yeah. You know, your character doesn't have generally a whole lot of levels. You know, you can put everything into it that you want. Right. But 
Yeah. It's, you're, you're, it's, the, it's, it's simple. It's not even an arc. Right. <laughs> Usually. Right. <laughs> but this one was like, I, you had, you know, I had to plot where I was on the arc at any given mo- point in time. Right. You know, otherwise this is going to look shitty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, hmm. and it was, it was great. It was a great challenge. That's great. It'll never come out, but. <laughs> uh, oh, that's not good. Yeah. Mo- most of the movies I've done have, well, now, nowadays everything comes out somewhere. Somewhere. But. Even uh, if it's out your ass. No, I do. I remember I went to Calgary. This is like in the first 24 years of my time in SAG. So uh-huh. I've now clocked 26 years because wow. I started in high school. Um, the first 24 years, I went out of town once wow. to work. And that was in Calgary to do this movie uh, starring Bill Murray and uh, James Spader and Jay Moore and Laura Flynn Boyle back when people cared. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, it's not a big part. Oh, and Catherine O'Hara. It was not a big part. But this movie will actually be in theaters. It totally. And yummy. What a fun cast. Yeah. Yeah. And it disappeared off the face of the earth. Wow. Never to be, well, eventually seen on cable. Fascinating. It, 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 it yeah. I'm, that always surprises me too. It's like, okay, so you've made the movie. And so you're not going to even try to get any money back for it. You know what? It used, <laughs> it used to puzzle me until I, uh, listened to Kevin Smith talk about. Right. You know, it's like, what it takes to it takes twenty million dollars to sell any movie, yes, regardless of how much the movie itself costs. I- exactly, and yeah. like when you think about that, I'm like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I can see why someone would refuse to shit away twenty million dollars. Yeah, and especially now in, in this culture with so much content coming at you at every angle to to get on the radar of anything, you know. And then you know what's interesting too is like I see these big movies coming out. I have not seen a movie all year. I've not. <laughs> I've not been to the theater because. Do you watch them on your iPhone? No, I don't watch them on my iPhone <laughs> or my iPad. I do. I wait, but I do wait for them to come on into the TV. Okay. You know, they come into the TV eventually. More and more quickly. But, but, you know, for me, because it's, unless there's something like really epic that I want to see on a big screen, but most of the time I'm looking at the advertising campaign and, you know, half the time you go into the movie and you're like, well, the fucking ads didn't represent this film at all. This movie, um, um, what was the film? Uh, the um, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh, okay. Saw, saw the ads for that. I'm like, oh, kind of interesting. But it looks like a kid's movie. I don't know. Right. It is one of the most amazingly perfect films I've ever seen in my life. And every time it's on now, Bob and I are just like on the couch. Okay, we're going to watch the whole thing yeah, again. It's really good. It is. And, 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 and but that's not a sales pitch. It, it's really good. <laughs> Coming Thursday, you know, <laughs> because I say so, but, but it is this whole, the whole marketing end of things versus the creative end of things are so disjointed. And I mean, I just know just even just, um, learning about self-marketing, you know, through mm. social media, marketing this podcast right. or, or trying to figure out how to market my, my solo show and how, like what you have to kind of catch in people's heads right. in order to a to get their attention and b to get them to get the narrative like that Ugh. and and it's a skill and it's and when it works and when you're good at it and when they do it well mm-hmm. it's like oh wow they really know how to how to express that to me but i'd say about 95 percent of the time marketers are just you know they don't know what the hell they're doing they they, they cut these these commercials and these trailers together and <laughs> half the time i'm in the movie theater watching these trailers going well, I'm not going to see that piece of shit, are you? 
it might be a decent film, but but, but sometimes they cut a fantastic trailer for a piece of shit movie. And well, and the, and sometimes all the good parts of the movie are in the trailer, of and course. you know that you're sitting there in the thing and going, "Well, we just saw the three jokes that worked, huh?" <laughs> I'm not going to spend fifteen dollars to see the fifteen that didn't. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah, I mean uh, the whole you know Mad Men marketing thing. Which actually predates Nixon, um, yes. but I also believe is uh, is responsible for the the death of our society. Um, yes, what did Bill Hicks used to say? If you're in advertising, go kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and then he'd find someone in the audience. Are you in advertising? No, really, I mean it. Just go fucking kill yourself. <laughs> because I mean that's the dumbing down. Like it's the oh, hyper simplification. Yeah, that's how you sell something. Yeah, yeah. You know you uh, uh, and it's and it's, it's reptilian it, brain and it's gone into politics oh well it's it's com- you know? i mean that is really what's truly ruined this country is and they found when i was a communications uh major at ucla my undergrad i worked with a political communications uh analyst professor guy and he was studying negative advertising so we were have people come in and they'd watch different ads and stuff and we would do the you know the, right. they'd have surveys them do surveys and stuff. and stuff and he proved that negative advertising works and, of course. and that's what just got so frustrating. It was like, oh, so now, we're, and so, and, it, and that destroys any kind of real dialogue, any kind of real democratic discussion about issues, because it's all about character, you know, Well, it's, it's so much easier to make people afraid than inspired. Absolutely. I mean, just period. It yeah. takes more words to inspire someone. Yeah. It just takes one fist to make somebody afraid. Well, and if you think about yourself, it's easy to scare the shit out of yourself, and it's much right. harder to like get your shit together and go, okay, why am I doing this? What's going on? Yeah, what, nobody can it? sneak up behind you and make you feel good. Yeah. <laughs> Joy! <laughs> you know? It just it's We're not wired that way. <laughs> what was that character that, um... Oh, shit. What? Oh, I'm totally blanking. I, I blew the mic up. Wait, which character? <laughs> Wait, I'm trying to think right now. Um, Smiley. Um, Stuart Smiley? Stuart Smiley. Oh, the Al Franken. He could kind of try to make you feel... Oh, my phone's making the thing. Go away, Mr. iPhone. Uh, uh, Stuart Smiley. He, he, you know, he could he could inspire you. He could scare you into inspiration. <laughs> but again, but again, it takes longer and, it more, and more effort. It, it does. And it actually takes people... Hold on. I, I'm going to move my phone across the room. Here, we someone. Thank you. Oh, there it goes. See, look at that. Bad phone. Bad phone. Um, but but yeah, the, it's it's a it's a it's a great point. It does. It takes longer. It takes more effort. It's yeah. well because you're fighting against entropy. In terms of, of in terms of, it's easier to make a system go into entropy, into chaos, right? Because if you just let go of things, it'll just you know it'll kind of go into chaos, and some you know it'll sometimes reform into some sort of order. But in order to order things. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what we're talking about, it's inspiring, moving forward, progressing. Hmm. It, it takes energy and effort to do right. that. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder. I'm not sure I agree with it. I don't know. I just said it. I know. I'm making it up. Because uh, <laughs> is fear moving towards entropy? or I mean, because when you get a whole bunch of people scared, it's easy to get them in line. And it's also easy to make them into a mob. Right. And people do irrational things when they're afraid. They're, they're not thinking about the bigger long-term picture. They're thinking right. reptilian brain, short-term, short-term, you know, which is uh, kill or be killed. Right. <laughs> the bottom line of the reptilian brain. <laughs> yeah. Fuck or not fuck. Right. Kill or be killed. So, so yeah, I, I don't know. That's, yeah. it, it's, it's, you know, so I, I think what we need to do is we need to go into Congress and the Senate and teach them improv, teach them yes and. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and teach them all the other parts of the Bible. <laughs> Like, no, 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 no. If you're going to sign up on this book, 
you got to read all of it. Yeah. Including the begats. Here, yes, exactly. It's, like, it's not just about hating the gays. It's also about boring you to death with the hats. <laughs> Actually, that, that would be fun. Like, yeah, yeah let's, let's let the, uh, the hyper Christians, you know, it's like, all right, now make a law that people have to read the begats section of the Bible before they can breed. <laughs> There's some popular, there's some Christian population control for you. And so and so beget, oh, I lost my mm. high heart on again. <laughs> I think we have a solution, Phil. There it is. I'm so excited. You know, I'm always, you know, the aim of this podcast on some level is always like, maybe we'll figure something out here today. <laughs> and, and I think we just figured a little something out here today. <laughs> I'm just, I'm so thrilled and so very happy little. about that. Well, very little. Yeah. And, and then of course, b- being the Buddhist that I am, it's like, you gotta, you gotta detach immediately from the outcome if you figure anything out. So, you know, it's, there, there's that. <laughs> uh, so what's coming up for you? Um, what's going on? Uh, we're doing, uh, I've got shows at the Groundlings, Monday nights. So if you're in LA, folks. Yeah, for the rest of the year, uh, we're doing, uh, Beverly Winwood presents the Actors Showcase. It's a really funny show that, uh, Tony Spolvita put together. It's, I'm in it, uh, uh, Jordan Black, uh, Paul Rubens, Lynn Marie Stewart, Jennifer Coolidge, Melissa McCarthy, Rachel Harris, like wow. all these people. Fantastic. And uh, that that goes through the beginning of November. And then after that, doing uh, Jordan Black's improv show, The Black Version, mm-hmm. um, starting in November. And uh, I think we're going th- uh, to be running uh, every other Monday night through into next year. And that's where people throw out a, uh, is it a film necessarily or a book? Yeah, a it, film? We, we take a suggestion, one suggestion from the audience of like a classic or iconic movie, just like a one that everybody right, knows. Right, like Gone with the Wind or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then do, we improvise the black version of it. Right. <laughs> and we, we've done E.T. Um, what was the E.T. version? What was the name of that? Do we have a title for that one? I don't think we have a title. What t- was the title we did earlier? It was Silence of the Lambs. Oh yeah, we did Silence of the Lambs. Like, why are you eating people? <laughs> So um, <laughs> what else? We did, uh, we did Grease. We did Sulfurate. Um, <laughs> God, what was the, we did Fatal Attraction. And that was, that, which is funny because you don't cross, think of it. Cross your legs, woman. <laughs> right. But that was a movie that really lent itself. You don't realize how white that movie is till you do the black version it's of it. It's so true. You it's know? like San Francisco. Well, because the thing is like, you know, the the black wife, right. she would have stood for that shit for <laughs> an hour and a half. <laughs> oh, hell no. Would you put a rabbit in my... Get the bitch, come here. Don't make me take my shoe off. You know? like And Archer's like, what's going on? You know? No, that's, it, uh, we had a whole different oh, take to, on it. I have it. to come out and see that show. That sounds yeah. amazing. And there's any... Do you have any films or anything coming out this... Uh, I'm in uh, Real Steel, which yeah, just came out. That's right. Last, you are. Uh, that's right. Yeah, just a small part. But it actually uh, turned out... Uh, Good. That's great. Yeah. Well, fabulous. Yeah. Thank you, Phil, for coming around. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to see you in this millennium. (laughs) It's been been a millennium since Phil and I have seen each other. Uh, So I want to thank everyone who's listening here live today. And if you've downloaded my my podcast, bless you, child. Uh, if you have anything to say to me, you can always find me on Twitter, Kelly underscore Carlin, or you can email me at WFADradio at gmail.com. Uh, find me on Facebook. Uh, go check out the George Carlin Sirius XM channel. It should be up soon. And uh, anything else going on for me this week? Uh, no, if you're in Scottsdale, go see Rain Pryor and uh, be good to your loved ones. And um, remember, everyone, just say yes and yes and 
This has been a production of Smodcast Internet Radio.